Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Drabblecast, episode 233. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. On this week's show, Strange Love. You see, love extends beyond Valentine's Day. It even extends beyond humans, for that matter. Again, my favorite commercial jingle ever. Daddy wears his t-shirt in the cold Kentucky rain While a boy in pure white briefs looks out the foggy window pane And even though his hamster died, he finds comfort, this I swear Cause you can't overlove your underwear Cause comfort ain't just found in teddy bears <laughs> His hamster died, people. (sighs) Just such beautiful targeted marketing. Yeah, you can love all sorts of stuff. I love my electric toothbrush and my acoustic. I love Snuggies because of how easy it is to ignite the unlikable people wearing them. I love bathroom hand dryers because you get to see what your hands would look like skydiving. And I love clouds shaped like wieners. I like to think God drew those, just his cheeky little way of keeping busy while he briefly passes through the stinky truck stop bathroom of our atmosphere. For a good time, callest thou Rick Santorum. Oh yeah, evangelism, they call it. Anyways, you get the point. How's a hundred word story sound? This week's Drabble is by Keith Fritz, and it's called Ancestry. Keith has been teaching middle school language arts, or what they called English back in the good old days, for 13 years. Keith's been seriously writing for about 20. He originally found the concept of a drabble in a contest on the back page of Writer's Digest several years ago. Over time, he's come to appreciate the challenge brought forth in the medium, and it became especially helpful in making his longer fiction smoother and more concise. He's also found that using drabbles in the classroom has been helpful in teaching his students the same important writing skill. Rose Green heard the Hell Beast before she saw it. So did her entire family. Instant panic swept through them like a frigid wind. They tried to run, of course, but each was rooted to the spot. Soon she heard the screams. Not dozens like her father had forewarned, but thousands. He had died horribly that long ago day. Another Hell Beast decapitation. Then she saw the steely arms of death blotting out the horizon, her childhood nightmare come alive. Her final screaming thought was that her son was small enough to be passed over, but old enough to remember the mower's blades. infant grasses mom died people 
How's he gonna grow strong? God, this is turning into a sad episode. Speaking of grass, that brings us to this week's feature story, A Blade of Love by Nathaniel Tower. Nathan writes fiction, teaches English, and manages the online lit magazine Bartleby Snopes. His short fiction's appeared in over 100 online and print magazines, and has been nominated for the Pushcart Prize. His story, The Oaten Hands, was named one of 190 notable stories by Story South's Million Writers Award in 2009. And his first novel, A Reason to Kill, was released in 2011 through Musit Publishing. Visit him at bartlebysnopes.com slash ntower. So without further ado, we bring you A Blade of Love by Nathaniel Tower. Alan Thermoose's wife is in love with a blade of grass. It's the 375th blade directly even with the crack in the third slab of sidewalk east of the mailbox. The blade gets full sun all day, and Alan, a stickler for lawn maintenance, is careful to water it, along with all the others, for approximately 30 minutes per day, moving the sprinkler three times to ensure even water distribution. He occasionally counts the residual droplets left on the tufts of grass 15 minutes after he shuts off the water. If he's not happy with the results, he repeats the process until he's positive his lawn has had enough to drink. Alan knows he shouldn't be worried about this new-found love of his wife's. It can't last, he tells himself. It's just a blade of grass. It will probably die in the winter, although he hopes it comes back to life in the spring. Besides, it's not like she can get married to it, and the blade certainly can't provide for her. Every once in a while, Alan considers doing something extra special for his wife to compete with the piece of lawn. But he shouldn't need to compete for his own wife's love. Besides, the way he cares for the lawn should be enough. The blade of grass is nearly in the center of the lawn. It first caught Miss Thermoose's eye on a Tuesday when she was out getting the mail. There was an electric bill, two catalogs, and one of those things asking for money for kids with cleft lips. Although the pictures of those kids frightened her, she always sent a check to them anyways. Maybe that's why she sent the check. She was positive that the grass winked at her. She wasn't sure on the way out, but as she walked back, mail in hand, sundress slightly dangling off her soft frame, she was almost sure of it. Whether it was a wink or not, the look it gave her made her feel something that Alan hadn't made her feel in quite some time. Alan wouldn't have even noticed the type of dress she wore. The grass did. She waited three weeks before telling Alan about her feelings. She did it right when he walked in the door from work, before he had the chance to put out the sprinklers for the day. Alan hadn't even set down his briefcase yet. His initial reaction was to laugh, but something about the way she spoke told him that she was either serious or crazy. He had wondered why she was spending so much time outside. She used to hate the outdoors, but now it seemed like all she did was stand in the center of the lawn staring at the ground. Alan never even thought to ask her what she was doing. It all made sense when she told him, at least to some extent. He wondered if he was to blame. Certainly it was his fault that the blade was so enticing, although he wasn't even sure at that point which blade it was. He couldn't think of anything he'd done to push her into such lunacy. It took quite a bit of time to figure out which one she loved. They all look the same to him, but that might be because he spends so much time making sure that each blade of grass is perfect. 
The only ones that he ever notices are the inferior ones, which he pulls out almost immediately if they're standing alone. If the inferior ones are grouped, then he has a different approach that takes a great deal more time. There are no inferior ones around hers. He had to count out the blades at least a dozen times before he pinpointed her exact love. For some reason, she was reluctant at first to point it out to him. You'll know it when you see it, she always told him. Alan stares at the lawn in a different way now. He used to admire it. Now he's trying to figure it out. Of course, he still cares for it just as well. It gets as much water as it did before, and he cuts it on the same schedule. The only difference is how much he looks at it. Often when he's outside looking at it, a neighbor will stroll by and compliment him on such fine lawn care. They're always in awe that he doesn't pay for anyone to treat it. Why would he pay when he can do it himself? Alan nods a thank you and goes back to looking at the grass. The neighbors think he is looking for imperfections and tell him to relax. He doesn't tell them why he can't, so he chuckles and continues to study it. No matter how much he stares, he just can't figure out what she sees in that particular blade of grass. After giving it a few dozen looks, he can't help but think it looks a little dull compared to some of its neighbors. He wonders why it isn't the 223rd blade of grass just east of the center of the elm's trunk. Now that is a beautiful piece of grass. Alan is under strict instruction not to cut that blade of grass anymore. If he trims it even by a centimeter, his wife is asking for a divorce, and she may even call the cops. He tells her he isn't going to mow that patch of grass, but this is not acceptable. Her blade must stand out above all other blades, so he has to trim all around the grass by hand, making sure not to harm hers in any way. He asks if he can mark it somehow, possibly with a little paint, but she says no, that the blade won't like that very much at all. Can I at least put a toothpick in the ground next to it? He asks her. Even that is too much. She thinks it will hurt the roots. Alan understands her point and wishes he hadn't suggested such a thing in the first place. She's taken to sleeping outside three days a week to be closer to her blade. She snuggles with it and gives it kisses in the morning. She pretends the drops of dew are the blade kissing her back. Alan begs her to wait until after sundown to lie with the grass and to come back in before the sun comes up. She obeys his first request, but not his second. Each of those mornings she comes in with damp garments and a bare shoulder. He's thinking of installing an automated sprinkler system that will douse her at four in the morning, but he wonders if maybe she wouldn't enjoy this a little too much. It's late spring, and Alan wants to fertilize, but his wife says that her blade doesn't want that. He insists it will help her blade grow to its fullest potential, but she, knowing nothing about lawn care, thinks putting anything on the blade will make it lose its sparkle. She's been keeping her makeup on at night and wearing lacy nightgowns to give little extra sparkle to herself. She only does this on the nights she spends outside, of course. When she stays inside with Alan, she dons a baggy nightshirt and a bare face. Alan shrugs at bedtime each night and wonders why she even bothers to stay in. His neighbors ask about the abnormally long blade. He tells them he missed a spot. They ask if he's okay. He's never missed a spot before, and now he seems to miss the same spot each week. Alan can't tell them about his wife's feelings. They'll think she's insane, which means he's insane. Truth is, he's embarrassed about the whole thing. He'd rather his wife be in love with another man. 
On Sunday, as usual, Alan mows the lawn. He likes to do the crisscross pattern, except around the trees where he cuts a three-tiered circle. Of course, he leaves the small patch in the middle with that one extra long blade. When he is finished mowing, he walks to the center of the yard with a small pair of scissors and trims each blade with barber-like precision to match the rest of the lawn. He contemplates cutting his wife's blade. He opens the scissors and slides them next to the single tall piece of grass. The scissors hover there, waiting to be closed on the blade that towers over everything else. No one is around. He starts to push the metal blades together. They are a mere centimeters away from each other when he hears the blade of grass whisper, I love her. He removes the scissors and tells the blade to treat her well. Then he goes and cleans the gutters. From the roof, he watches his wife go outside and sit with the grass. She looks happy and he smiles as he removes a clump of leaves and tosses it to the ground below. He looks at the leaves longingly and wonders if any of them could fall in love with him. They just stare back, all crumply and dead. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Whatever love is, it's both simple and complicated, huh? If you enjoyed this week's story, you gotta let us know. Verbally in our ultra-fun discussion forums, linked off Drabblecast.org, where listeners such as yourself are always posting weird science news and fun stories, or monetarily. That's right, the Drabblecast accepts donations, and not only do we accept them, we rely on them to keep the show going and going strong. Find support options on our aforementioned page, Drabblecast.org, where as long as you have a credit card or PayPal account, you can help us offset costs of the show and pay authors for their creative work. We greatly appreciate any amount you're comfortable giving. And if you're a fan of the Drabblecast, while you're on our webpage, you might also enjoy a shiny wrapped copy of my new CD, which just came out last month, The Esoteric Order of Sherman. Ten songs you're sure to enjoy if you're as weird as your girlfriend thinks you are. Check out samples and such. There's links there. You can't miss it on the Drabblecast webpage. Finally, in reminders and such, week two here of the first round of the Drabblecast 2011 People's Choice Awards. Nominate your favorite five stories, Drabbles, and episode art covers in a section in our discussion forums. Help them get to the next round of voting. Okie doke then, 100 character story winner this week. We of course have a weekly ongoing contest in our discussion forums where you listeners can post stories exactly 100 characters, not counting spaces. We call them Twabbles, and we pick a winner each week and post it in our Twitter account, at the Drabblecast, and also feature it here on the show at the end. Give it a shot, always good to have new blood up in there. Like this week's winner, The Metis, with a winning Twabble here. Starting my new job today, I really screwed up at my last job. Hopefully, being a ghost will be safer than being a stuntman. Nice. Again, follow us on Twitter at TheDrabbleCast if you enjoy this kind of stuff. 
And that's our show, folks. Remember, the Travelcast is produced with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes, blog about us, or if you don't have a blog, evangelize about us on bathroom stalls and public restrooms. Spread the weird, and then wash your hands. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Kay Martinez. Find her art and writing at kmartinez.posterous.com. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, I'm Norm Sherman, reminding you, you'll know it when you see it. The evening saunters to closing. The waitress turns chairs upside down. Piano player picks up his tip jar and drink, and the bartender shouts last round. A hour ago, this place was loaded. A noise filled the room like the smoke. And laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass. Words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all splurred when spoke. In the dark corner table. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.